For those of you that don't know me, I'm Janice Collins, the co-founder of The Refinery, an accelerator for women-led tech companies that's been around for over four and a half years. Some of our companies are here tonight, some of the, the founders, which is really cool. Um, and it is my honor to have Jenny Lawton as my guest um, in our fireside chat. And she is an entrepreneur, investor, CEO, bookstore owner, <laughs> and chief now currently chief operating officer of Techstars. And you're going to learn a lot more about Jenny, I think, tonight. I think that probably the biggest um, failure in my life was my first marriage. Um, I was married for 20 years. And um, during that time period, um, started a business, sold a business, um, decided to uh, work for venture capital firm where I was an EIR and my job was really to find a business that I could start that they might invest in. I chose to buy a bookstore instead, which they were pretty sure was not what they were planning on me doing. Um, and then um, grew that bookstore, bootstrapped a second bookstore, opened a coffee shop and was sort of the mayor of Old Greenwich for a while. Um, and then um, had this fantastic divorce that um, really also brought home the fact that um, my life was out of balance and things weren't working that well. And uh, you know, when I really stepped back from it, um, the businesses weren't working really well. So having to shut them down um, and disappoint all the people uh, in Old Greenwich um, was really, really hard. It was really hard for me to, um, to come back from. Um, and so that was sort of a low point in my life. And when I tried to shut the businesses down, um, when I started these, when I bought these bookstore, the bookstore and started a second one and bought the coffee shop, Brad Feld had told me, don't worry about it, it's super easy. If it doesn't work out, you just like, you know, shut the lock and you're done. And uh, I told the town that I was um, gonna move on and that um, these businesses needed to um, be shut down. And they, uh, the response was um, not a really awesome response um, in some ways, but really a phenomenal response in other ways is that they actually um, rallied around and did a fundraiser, had a comedy show at my coffee shop and raised enough money to pay all the bills um, to keep the, the businesses going for, for another year or so, which was, um, was super fantastic, but also really, really, really hard. Can we back up a little bit though and talk about, you were a tech entrepreneur yep. in times where not many people were tech entrepreneurs. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit more about your company and what you did? And I've met people in Boston that have invested in that company. Ham Lord told me he was one of your early <laughs> angel investors. Um, it was very nice to hear that. So I, um, I came to entrepreneurship and I sort of, uh, you know, just woke up one day and decided I would be an entrepreneur. Um, although um, it's sort of, uh, all the signs were on the, the wall from the time of sort of the age of six. So um, it was really no surprise that's how I ended up. But um, I had been working for, um, I think, the fourth company uh, that I had worked for out of college. And um, I had gone from working at MIT Lincoln Laboratory where I wrote real-time code for a, a radar system um, to working for a company that was called Stardent, uh, which is a merger between Stellar and Ardent. Um, anyone um, who was in the computing days back in the back in the days um, it was founded by Bill Poduska who started Prime and Apollo who's sort of the, the grandfather of um, entrepreneurial um, computing um, and it was the coolest company I'd worked for we got milk and cookies every now and then we got t-shirts it was just like this totally different environment right. um, it's sort of like Montessori for, for grown-ups um, and so um, it was a really cool company, but uh, it had been invested in by Kubota, by Kubota Computer, but by Kubota. Um, and um, 
defaulted on on our on our agreement in terms of what we were supposed to do in terms of our revenue and what we were supposed to do. And they ended up with all the IP of the company and the company went under on Halloween 1991. Don't remember that day very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, it was, um, it spun off into about 10 different companies. Yeah, I say 10 different companies. I haven't sat back and, and sort of counted what they were, but Ham was actually with um, ABS, which is one of the, the spin-offs, the software spin-off out of the company. and. Um, each of them came to me and they were like, oh, well, you'll just come work for us. I was the network administrator at, um, at uh, Stardent. And, and so many people came and said, you'll just come work for us. And I was like, well, heck, like, I can just work for all of them. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I came home and I told, told my husband that um, I was going to start a company. <laughs> He's like, you don't know what you're doing. How can you start a company? Um, I'm like, it's fine. Like, you know, I've got 10, 10 different companies that want me to work for them. Then, you know, I've got... I've got work, so why not do it? Um, he's like, you don't, you don't have any clue what you're doing. You just don't know anything about it. I'm like, well, figure it out. Um, he's like, but you make all the money. I'm like, well, figure it out. Like, you know, it'll work. Um, and that's really sort of how it started. Um, bootstrapped company it was 1990, must have been 1995 when we started it. My son was not quite one, um, and. Uh, like there's the concept of that there was no concept really of angel funding and there's no uh, it certainly wasn't a household where VC angel funding IPO none of that those were not words that anyone knew uh, female entrepreneur female CEO uh, th those weren't even concepts that that were contemplated so um, I, d I just was very unaware of the fact that I was doing something that a lot of people weren't doing um, there was a really good community in the Boston area so um, that's when I met Brad Feld, met, a, met um, a lot of the early entrepreneurs in the, um, in the Boston area at that time. And so it was a really rich time to be going into, into an entrepreneurial world. It's when Al Gore invented the internet and it sort of changed <laughs> everybody's life. So. <laughs> yeah. So how long did you do that company before you sold it, right? You sold it? I did sell it. Um, I, you know, I, I think that, so I sold it in 99. Um, so um, it's funny, like I've said before, I, I think it was seven years, but it clearly wasn't if I, my kid was um, not quite one. So it sounds like it was about four and a half years. <laughs> um, we grew, we grew a lot. We were bootstrapped. We started with two people. We grew, you know, massively, um, uh, always 100% plus growth year over year. In the first few years, you know, it was like 600% growth, but that just meant that we had 12 people. Um, <laughs> and so um, we grew a lot. We, we were a cool company. We did a lot of interesting things, focused a lot on culture, really worked with the engineers to think differently about how they approached the world. Um, they weren't allowed to get a good problem and say, I've got it. They had to work together and solve, yeah. solve problems together. Um, but we sold it in 1999 to um, a company that uh, the day we sold it was called Sage Networks, which is a roll-up in the web hosting, web hosting space, really. They bought our company to be um, the consulting arm of this web hosting roll-up. Um, bought our company one day. We doubled the size of the company. Um, so we were 55 people when we sold, so we doubled the size of the company to 110. They closed a transaction the next day with a company called Interliant, which is the biggest Lotus Notes hosting uh, company in the world. Um, People do still use Lotus Notes. Um, and they doubled the size of the company, and then we went public a month later um, and rolled up uh, another 15 companies after that. So it was a really, um, 
was we were the first application service provider, really, um, really the first SaaS solution. Um, it was us and US Internetworking that, mm -hmm. that were really the big companies. So sold my company and then really ran, ran strategy and operations and all of the technology side of that business for um, through the earnout, so probably another two years. So then from there you went to the so, VC? No, well, yeah, yeah. So then, then I left. Um, I left to when when I sold my company, I was in Boston, and the and the um, management team was in White Plains. Uh -huh. um, and there was this new CEO that came on, and he's like, "You all have to work in White Plains." And I was like, "Whoa, that's a really long commute." Um, so I moved to Connecticut um, because uh, Connecticut was better for. Uh, taxes. So moved to Connecticut, moved to... Uh, <laughs> that was a very not, long time ago. <laughs> it's better for taxes on if you owned a house. Um, <laughs> so moved moved to Connecticut um, and Greenwich has you know, very low mill rate, at least it did when I was there. Um, and so it was a great, great, great place to, to, to come to. So um, I was in Connecticut and then um, when I left um, Brad Feld was the co-chairman of the company, and um, I went on to be an EIR at SoftBank mm -hmm. Technology Ventures that then became Mobius. Um, and I probably did that for a little, maybe just a year. Mm -hmm. um, but I did that, that from my home, and I was really working with the East Coast portfolio of SoftBank Tec Technology Ventures before they really went. Um, when, when Brad uh, formed Mobius, he was really focused very much on Colorado at that point. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So then the failure? Well, no, then I, um, <laughs> then 9-11 then happened. And, um, and that's like, that was such a pivotal moment in my, in my life. It was, um, I had this, I mean, I, my, I had this life where it was sort of go-go life. I was on the road all the time. Um, my kids, you know, uh, things weren't great. You know, I, I remember the day my uh, now 24-year-old came up to me, he was three, and asked if he could schedule an appointment with me. And I, pretty good sign that things weren't great um, uh, and so um, I I was working from home and I was traveling a lot and I was really looking to build the next thing that I could sell and um, you know um, have another transaction and when 9-11 happened everyone I knew like who was really important to me was either in the air or stuck in New York City or stuck somewhere uh, my next door neighbor across the street um, was in the towers and died. There were a lot of, uh, I lived in Old Greenwich, I feel like um, a massive number of people, um, massive loss of life. Um, it really had a big impact on me. Uh, and I decided that, uh, you know, in that week that there was no way I was going to build something new, that I wasn't going to go for the next um, big win, that I was just going to um, sort of figure out what I could do uh, at home. Um, and, uh, you know, part of the reason I was in Connecticut is because I was really meant to move to Boulder. That, that had been the agreement with my husband. Um, when I get out of Interliant, um, we're going to move to Boulder. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I got out of Interliant. I'm like, okay, it's time to pack the bags and go. He's like, no, uh, no way. I'm not moving to Boulder. Too much open land um, in, in Boulder. I'm like, that's, that's whack. He's like, you can go with the boy. You can go, but me and the boys are staying here. So I was really sort of landlocked in, yeah. in, in Connecticut. And Connecticut, um, not terribly entrepreneurial, like not a good startup ecosystem. Right. New York City, really, really hard to break into if you're from, from Connecticut. So that felt like a failure there. Like I was this entrepreneur who wanted to do something, and I couldn't. I just couldn't figure it out. So 
Um, I love to read. I've always read my whole life. And uh, there was this cool old bookstore for sale. Um, and I went and I talked to the owner and I said, I really want to buy your bookstore. Uh, it was for sale. And he's like, no way. Um, you can't run a bookstore. I'm like, what do you mean I can't run a bookstore? Like, I'm, I'm a big technology person. He's like, you don't know anything about small business. You can't run this bookstore. I'm like, but I want to buy the bookstore. It's for sale. And he's like, but I'm not going to sell it to you. Um, I was like, that, that doesn't work. Um, and it was like in November. And he said, why don't you work, uh, why don't you work the Christmas season? Um, it's like, sure. Like, how bad could that be? <laughs> And uh, he said, prove it to me that you can do it. Um, so he made me work the Christmas season. And um, after that was over, he said, uh, you know, I'll sell it to you. Um, and so I bought that business. And um, it's the hardest business I've ever run. I mean, it is clearly, clearly uh, people think it's small businesses. Oh, that's, that's easy. And um, I made so many mistakes as soon as I bought that business. Um, it was just sort of, you sort of hold your head and go, I can't believe I did all those things. It was the hardest business I've ever run. So when you were getting out of it, yeah, and the town was trying to bail you out, yeah, did you feel like a failure? Um, I felt like a failure because uh, I bought it, I felt like it beat me. Um, it was, it's a small business, um, you know, did maybe a million, million dollars a year in business, which I guess for a small bookstore, a small bookstore, um, is good. Uh, but to me, it should have made money. It should have been able to figure that out. Um, and I could never get under, I could never get out from under the debt and the, and the way that the business worked. Um, the business model for a small a small bookstore and a small business um, so works against the, the, the small business owner that um, to me I felt like I failed because I couldn't get out from under it and I you know it was a failure to have to shut it down to um, to have a lot of debt walking away from it but it seems to me there's something about you that is just very resilient right and that <laughs> none of these things are really feel like failures because you just keep going you just kind of figure out what just happened? It didn't work the way you wanted it to do, but you would just keep going. And what does that? Where does that come from? I think it comes from um, a few places. I mean, some of them are um, the way I was brought up. Um, we weren't allowed to be bored. Uh, that wasn't a word I was allowed to say. Uh, wasn't allowed to take naps. Um, you moved a lot, though, right? We moved, I think, fifteen times before I was eight. Um, my dad was in the military. My parents got married. Uh, they eloped when they were in college. No one knew it. Um, uh, so uh, I was always reminded of the fact that that wasn't, that wasn't an option. You're not ever allowed to get pregnant without knowing how that happened. Um, and so uh, I, feel like, I feel like I was left with a lot of responsibility really early right. on. Um, my mom used to leave me. My mom grew up on a dairy farm, so she thought it was normal to leave your kid all alone. Um, so I got left alone a lot. Yeah. Um, and then my brother is eight years younger than me, and um, I got left with him a lot. So I just sort of was in charge a lot. Um, I sort of ran things, um, and we also had no money. Um, so there wasn't this cushion, there wasn't any option. Right. You know, you had one pair of shoes, you had three pairs of jeans, you had, you know, it was just sort of this basic existence. And my parents were sort of pseudo hippies as well. They were academics, and um, you know, you just sort of learned and grew, and um, my mother was, determined that uh, I was going to grow up as a strong female. 
as much as she was determined that my brother was going to grow up not as a strong, you know, he was going to grow up uh, or in Isn't the comfort it? of being taken care of, uh-huh. um, which I don't understand. Uh-huh. Like, I used to say to her, why do I have to iron my clothes and I have to iron his clothes? I don't get it. <laughs> um, doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, you know, so, but tell us more about the resources that you drew upon. And so this is my other thing. I feel like in order to be resilient and to constantly come back from setbacks, you kind of have to have your peeps. Yep. Did you have your peeps? I did as a, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good and kind of bad at this. Um, so when I started my business, um, I had a really good friend, my, my great friend Rudy. And um, Which business? Tech business Ned Damon's, Ned, Ned okay. um, my very first um, technology business, and he was the husband of my best friend, mm-hmm. and he uh, he's a a CFO, um, and so he's who I went to, and it's like, I'm going to start this business. Thomas doesn't think I know what I'm doing. Um, you must be, you must know how to tell me what to do, and so um, he came on as an advisor, brought his friend Russell in, who um, who is a lawyer. And um, and we you know we sort of figured out how the business should work, and then I at that stage decided that the best way to do this was find people who knew what they were doing to help me so that I could do it. Um, and so really early on, formed an advisory board of people who uh, knew how all the things in business worked. I had someone from marketing, had someone from sales, had someone from um, operations, had someone from from finance, had someone from legal. These are all concepts I just didn't understand. Yeah, I, I, I really hadn't contemplated how business worked. Yeah. I just um, decided that I was going to have one. And then some of our customers, like our first customer um, was Cayman Systems, um, which uh, Cayman Systems made these routers that were local talk to Ethernet routers. And uh, Joe Geary was the guy who, who I worked for there. I think he was the CFO at the time. His son, Jay Geary, worked for me at MakerBot. Wow. Um, and so, like, you know, what, what really, I think, makes me resilient is uh, the network that I have. So mm-hmm. I make relationships. I make sure that they're, they're things that I value and stay with. So the whole time that I was out of the tech world, um, I stay connected with people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I used email. I, uh, you know, I checked in on what was going. I became... I knew everyone in town, I, and, and Greenwich, gosh, what a good place to know people. Um, <laughs> like, lots of interesting people. Yeah, so, yeah. like, you know, it, it's not just like, um, it was hard in Greenwich because the, like, this sounds super stereotyping, but I'll say it, but a lot of the women didn't work. Right. They had worked, but they didn't work. So there was a lot of interesting conversation in the coffee shop around, uh, you know, why are you sitting here having coffee all the time? What's, right. you know... What's that about? So there was some, some interesting discussion about how do I get back to my life? Yeah. And then the men didn't necessarily want to talk to you, right? <laughs> I was just the coffee shop owner. Uh, and my husband must have set me up so that I could do that. Yeah. They didn't really realize that I was the business person. And yeah. actually, he was the guy at home. Uh, he was Watching the stay-at-home guy. And I'd set him up to be able yeah. to do that. Interesting. Um, so that was a really interesting dynamic. Interesting, right? There's still those assumptions people make. Okay, so was it the toughest challenge? Like if you say, who makes Jenny today, especially Jenny the leader, what's that toughest thing you've had to deal with? Uh, the toughest things I've had to deal with are, um, 
our, our personal things. Yeah. Uh, so uh, going through a divorce and coming out of it, um, I had made money when I sold my company. There was still money in the bank uh, when I divorced my uh, now ex. Um, there was no money in the bank afterwards. Right. Um, he had not worked for 10 years. Um, I had a high net worth calculation from my past. Uh, I had a house that, that I uh, was a transaction in the divorce that was worth, uh, that was appraised at double what it sold for. Um, and if any lawyers in the, the room know what a property settlement looks like, that's not a really good situation to be in. Um, and at the same time, I had two teenage boys and one of them, um, uh, was uh, has has a mental illness and um, at the age of 16 it was a very very active part of uh, our life and I think that that was the hardest part was sort of figuring out how to my at the same time my brother's uh, wife died at uh, age 30 from uh, breast cancer and sort of a lot of things were just sort of falling apart and how to get through that and support the family and figure out how to get back to um, being able to support the family and support my ex and make money and get back there while I was in massive debt. Um, I, I went down pretty hard that day. A lot of people did not hear from me for a few years. What year was that? Um, it was in the, you know, 2005, 2006, around there. So one of the reasons why I asked Jenny to be here and share all this stuff with us tonight, which is so incredible, is I'm also friends with her on Facebook. <laughs> so, and Jenny has this most beautiful house, and she has a very loving husband, right? And so she went from that situation to where she is today, which is, you know, the sort of the bottom, right? Very tough, tough time in her life to being you know in a very loving relationship great house great job gets to know all of us work with us <laughs> and in between there there was maker bot and little bits right and oh, so yeah. um so jenny has a lot i think to teach us about resilience you know and that art of getting to that very low point and coming back and coming back not just coming back but coming back truthfully honestly authentically to a great life so that's why I asked you here. Awesome. <laughs> well, hopefully I can help. So you know the other, you know, one other thing I want to say, you know, like you, you've sort of danced around it. it. I mean, it sounds to me like your survival skills that your mother taught you, plus the fact that you had to make the money, is a lot of what drove you, right? And I just never didn't feeling have like a option. failure. You never felt like a failure, right? Oh, I feel like a failure pretty regularly. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think that. Um, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm super competitive. Yeah. Um, and my parents are both college professors, and uh, and I was taught that, um, that like you know a grade that's less than an A is a failure, um, and um, and so I think that I have a pretty strong. Uh, I have very high expectations of myself, so that's why I feel like uh, I don't take a lot. You know, it doesn't take a lot for me to go like, well, I guess I'm failing. Right. Um, I do right. have to take myself in hand and say, it's probably not failure. Um, and so I've learned how to be more gentle with myself and um, and um, more forgiving in terms of not being perfect. Right. Um, and I think that uh, there's a lot of expectations, especially for women, to be relatively perfect. Right. right. Um, and there's a lot of expectations in the world of business to be, um, you know, to be 
uh, hard, but not not too mm-hmm. hard to be, you know, to be to hold the line, but to you know be soft and to uh, you know have the expectation that you're going to be matron, you know, motherly and and also like you know, I don't know, do all of the hard stuff. So it's it's a really tough balancing act. Um, I've always sort of gotten in a little bit of trouble because I'm not a lot of those things. Um, I say what's on my mind and I do what needs to get done. I have a uh, I'm a very hard driver, and so um, that's sort of also what keeps me going. But I never had an option. You know, I, 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 there was no one else who was going to pay for things. There was right. no one else who was going to uh, make things work. So might as well make the best of it right. and move on. So my only other question about that, so I feel the same. I com- completely relate to what you're talking about. I'm a perfectionist as well, and I'm always beating myself up. I'm sure other people in the room can totally relate to that. So how is it that you are able to now forgive yourself a little bit? What oh, do you well, do? Well, give us some tips. What do I do? Suggestions. I play, I play a lot of tennis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, um, I mean, I try, to, I try to be aware of when I'm, you know, when I'm in my head and I'm uh, and, and sort of looking at the, you know, learning how to read the room. Yeah. Um, and... Um, I just try to. I just try to be more aware. Try to be balanced. Um, I do think. I do other things. I need to make sure that I do other things. I recognize when I'm under stress um, that I can not be as nice as I should be. Um, I. I will have to credit you know my ex-husband a lot for my being able to succeed and get to where I am and um, you know listening a lot to what went wrong there. Um, you know, allows me to be um, more aware and nicer in terms of how I how I handle myself now. Um, but I make sure that there are other outlets. I learned how to row uh, when my when my kid was going through really hard times in in uh, high school. Um, he was a rower, and he's like, "Oh, you should go out and row." And so I'd go out rowing at five in the morning. It was the most exhilarating. Like, didn't matter what had gone on the night before in our house, um, I could get up and go rowing for for an hour, and I wouldn't know what that was about. You know, you'd sort of come off of uh, the water um, on a high, and um, like anything else, is super competitive about it. And I really liked getting medals. Um, I was disappointed that I had to stop when I started working in Brooklyn, and uh, and when I met Tim, started playing tennis. And you know, I think I recognized that um, I have to do something. I have Free to have enough. some sort of outlet. Yeah. yeah, and it has to be about like I have to give myself yeah. time unselfishly. You know, without yeah. not relative to other people. I think there, there's another piece of it, you know, that I, um, there's also, like, nothing horrible is going to happen. Right. Um, I think that, that no matter how horrible things feel, uh, you know, so long as nothing physically horrible has happened to you, or, or you know, some, or, or something emotionally, you know, bad has happened to you, nothing really bad bad's going to happen. So, uh, you know, the bookstores didn't succeed. I still am here. Um, you know, I had to pay off some debt. I maybe had to go and negotiate with someone down, you know, that debt. It didn't feel great, but nothing really horrible happened. Um, you know, it's the same as um, same as when you go to ask someone for help. The worst thing that they might say is no. Like, the, it just, it, they didn't, you know, poke you with a knife. They didn't shoot you with a gun. They just said no. Right. Uh, and and life goes on. So I think it's it's understanding that you can have uncomfortable moments, but that you're okay, um, and that if you have uh, if you have a network, that that you'll get through it. Right. Um, I think I learned a lot from uh, spending a lot of time uh, at Al-Anon, learning how um, learning how to 
to take care of myself and focus on myself and not on other people, making sure that I, I knew what I could do and not expect other people to make things happen or expect that I could change other people. Right. Um, and so I think that uh, I, I give a huge amount of credit to the 12-step program um, in terms of giving me a lot of resilience skills as well. That's awesome. Um, other words that you said that I think are really important is, I'll figure it out. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that those four words can keep you going a lot of times, right? When you're scared and it's risky, you're going to figure it out. You know, you don't have the $50,000 in the bank to do this, you'll figure it out, right? There are those days when you think about that and somehow having that mantra, I will figure it out, definitely always helps me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you. You are awesome. Oh, thank you um, for having me. Thank you. <laughs>